funny thing, you guys. Um, Kev Harrison, we loved talking to this guy so damn much. Last time, I deleted the whole fucking thing so we could talk to him again. Um, so here we are. Uh, thanks for coming back, Kev, and I apologize for my uh, foibles. No worries at um, all. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you all. Um, I'm lost here. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Kev, for people listening who don't know who you are, which is maybe nobody, but. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm a British uh, writer of like horror and dark fiction type stuff. Um, but I live in Portugal. I've lived in Portugal for about seven and a half years now. Uh, and before that, I lived in a couple of other countries uh, around Europe. Um, and outside of writing, I teach English to people who want to learn English. So, yeah, that's it. That's that's pretty much me, really. You, you go running as well, Kev. I saw your tweet this morning. Yes, I did a 10K this morning. But the first... Mm. The, the sun was uh, too hot, even though it's December the 5th, like the sun was like beating down. And when you when you're running your sixth kilometer and the sun is beating down on you, it's just like, come on, give me a cloud for the love of God. Oh, gosh, <laughs> I, would, I, I wouldn't have thought it would have been that warm. It's about 16 degrees today in the sunshine. Uh, well, no, actually, that was the ambient temperature when it was sunny. So like in the sunshine, I guess, like probably 22, 23. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's pretty I, warm. I especially liked your little mask that you had wearing over your beard, which made you look very elf-like. Yeah, exactly. Because of like COVID <laughs> measures, they gave us um, masks for the beginning, before the race and after the race when people are sort of all gathered together. So, yeah, and the the, the festive theme of the mask, I was very much on board with that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I need to find that and see what you look like. <laughs> an, an idiot is the spoiler. <laughs> Um, I always am surprised when I see runners around my neighborhood um, running with their damn masks on. And it's like, how the hell can you do that, man? If I go out for a brisk walk, I take my mask off. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Completely, completely. Oh, I can't understand that. But, there, you, you know, one of the great benefits to masks in the world right now is that um, – it gets colder than hell here when the east wind blows, and those masks are a godsend, you know. <laughs> For the bit where you can't grow the beard. Exactly. Over the <laughs> nose is perfect. That's, you know, that sucker sticks way out there, so, you know. It's just not the part of the body that keeps growing, so, like, it just keeps getting yeah. bigger. It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no matter how much I tell the truth. <laughs> it also means you don't have to smile at people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can smile, but you know, if you don't want to, you don't have to. No, if I just curl my lips up a little bit, it looks like I've got a big grin under my mustache. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, you have um, sorry, I I had a question in my head and it popped out of my head and I thought I found it back, but I didn't. So I'll, ju I'll jump in, Shane, it's okay. Yes. Um, yes tell us about the works you've had published uh, this year then, Kev. Yeah, this year has been quite a good year, actually. Um, uh, I put out a collection, um, self-published, a collection of short fiction called Paths Best Left Untrodden. And that was in June. And that, that came out under the banner of Dan Howarth's um, Northern Republic um, label, uh, which he's doing more stuff with in the near future. 
Uh, so it's one to watch. Um, and so that's like 13 short stories with some story notes and um, that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with how that went and how that's been received so far. And then in August, I had my first Silver Shamrock release, which was um, Below, which is like sort of a subterranean horror with a folkloric creature, maybe, possibly. Um, it's very no spoilers. Good. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very yes, much. Yes, for, any, for any, anyone wanting to pick up something subterranean, very chilling, highly recommended. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, very chilling. And if 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 the subterranean type reads and watches and things like that are uh, are triggers for you, this one will scare the hell out of you. Um, and and if they aren't, it will too. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That's that's a good compliment. <laughs> So anyway, we we interrupt to praise sometimes. So <laughs> fine, fine. Thank you. Did, did, uh, you, did, did you did you go in in any caves to get your research like really deep down underneath all that rock? Well, I have been to some caves, but I've never been to a cave system. I've been I've been to one cave that was very deep, which was in Mallorca, but many, many years ago. Um, but that was all very pleasant, you know, it was all like sort of, you know, like lit sort of tastefully you know and that kind of thing like a big lake in the middle that was all properly illuminated so that didn't really scare me at all um so but i did go to a mine when i worked in poland uh, not a gold mine like in the story of below um it was actually a coal mine um and it was because i had a, a student for a whole year um who was a project manager for uh poland's biggest mining firm i think it's a state company actually i think it's a state or partly state run company and um after taking me through presentation after presentation about this uh the, the mine that he uh was often involved with he said he sent me a text one day and just said like hey Kev, do you want to come and see the mine that i've been talking to you about uh, after the, the term finishes and he took me down there and um and uh yeah it was brilliant but like um the funny thing is uh and one of the things that i, I featured in the story actually which uh because because of the, the fact that it struck me so much is that it does get really warm uh, when you get far, further down. And so when we arrived, this is going to sound really dodgy. Um, this fella, Michal, goes, uh, OK, now, Kev, you have to undress. And I was like, I, I didn't think it was that kind of date, Michal. Um, and uh, and then he's like, no, 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 because if you wear your clothes under the overalls, you're going to be your clothes will be like ruined, basically, by sweat and like, you know, discomfort and that kind of thing. So so I had to take all my gear off uh, down to my boxes and then put a, put a uh, um, an overall on and some safety boots and then we went down to the mine and it was uh, yeah extremely warm um quite damp and close like the environment is quite sort of humid and unpleasant in that way as well and the darkness is the thing that really gets you because like the light kind of like it's really weird like you know when you describe like light as a halo coming from a lamp and then kind of dropping dead it really does do that there. it's absolutely bizarre um, but yeah, yeah, it was quite an experience. So it stayed with me for all that, all those years since then. Is it the right fucking kinky at all to experience the, the pitch, you know, the, the actual depth of that darkness? What was that, sorry? Did you turn the lights off completely when you were down there? Um, we didn't actually. I mean, we didn't really need to because like the, the main like sort of corridor is lit by um, like permanent light fixtures. And then you have like a head torch on your on the hard hat, um, which we screwed those off when we got to like sort of a, like a branch away from the uh, the main corridor. 
and it was just yeah i mean like darkness you could you feel like you could take a bite out of it you know what i mean it's just, yeah, it's really just we, we went down the big pit in cardiff they took us down oh. uh, you know down into those mines and we actually all turned our lights off and it was just it's it's not like any darkness i've ever experienced before it wasn't exactly. warm by the way it's very cold oh really <laughs> um, okay. but that, that that depth of darkness is something there's yeah. no shadow no points of reference even those closest to you you just can't see that's the thing about people standing next to you and you cannot see them at all can you it's like no. really bizarre yeah no really bizarre. no never forgotten mm. it's always interesting to me too the temperature differences though because like the few caves i've been down in in oregon um were frigid oh really? you know, and, they, and they got more so the deeper you went um but uh then in Arizona, um, one of the ones I went into was very, very, very warm and got more so the deeper you went. So bizarre. You know, okay, must yeah. be a pressure thing or a stone thing or something. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Volcanic activity. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> That's the last thing it's, it's not just the darkness, so is it? It's that feeling of that, all that weight above you, mm-hmm. and that it could fall on you and crush you at any moment makes you feel very insignificant yeah absolutely absolutely and yeah just, i mean this, the one i went to was like i think it was about 840 meters uh below the surface of the wow. earth so like um wow. yeah it's just such a long way you know i mean that would take you like 12 minutes to walk that far right like you know it's just insane right it's got to be really trippy when you're on the elevator going down and yeah, down it just and keeps down. on going yeah. just keeps, and it looks the same just looks the same just keeps on going just like <laughs> Yeah. We have uh, one of our trains goes under uh, under uh, um, what we call a mountain in the city, but, you know, just a, a large hill. And our uh, local zoo is on top of that hill um, and it stops in the tunnel down there. And there's an elevator that rises uh, 550 feet, I think. Wow. And it's just really really strange because you you know the elevator up to the zoo just seems like it takes forever and ever and ever you know just to go one one flight you know <laughs> just through that mountain through or through the hill yeah. oh my god yeah. so weird but it's kind of cool too is when they did their cores because they did depth cores and you know soil samples and stuff before they drilled the tunnel out um they kept the they kept the cores and put them in uh, clear clear plexiglass tubes and they're on the walls so you can see all the different eras of time in so the stone cool. and stuff yeah so but yeah it's probably one of the most frightening human things though isn't it being the thought of being lost underground i think it's just places that are just where we're not supposed to go like it's like when you're you know when you're at sea or whatever and you're just like in the middle of nowhere like i mean i find that really claustrophobic as well even though you know you're in this gigantic space i find it claustrophobic because it's just like you know i don't belong here this is not really for me yeah and the the channel tunnel in a tunnel underground under the sea that's like everything and i love it i absolutely love it but like uh, if my train stops i'd probably love it significantly less i um actually considerably hate the sea (laughs) um i don't see done to you I love to see from a distance, but I don't like to be out on it much at all. Um, I just felt 
the one time I've ever been out of sight of land, I felt so incredibly helpless. And like, all I could keep thinking is we crawled out of this fucking thing for a reason. And what are we <laughs> doing back out here again? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I like to sit on the shore and watch other people risk their lives and limbs out in that water mint for sharks, you know? <laughs> Not an ocean guy. Um, I don't want to forget this, and I know I won't. I'll forget it, um, and we'll end up segueing into something else, and I'll not come back to it. So I'm just going to blurt it out. Last time we talked to you, mm. you told us a ghost story, and I want to make sure that I want to make sure that our listeners get to hear that story. Was it the ghost story about uh, the one that happened to me? The mirror. Yes, my God. Yeah. So actually, there's a story in um, my collection in um, in uh, Past Best Left Untrodden, which is based around this story, basically. Um, and uh, the story is called uh, Reasons for My Abscondence. And it's kind of like transposed over like a, um, uh, a woman, like a governess who's left a sort of rich family house. Uh, but anyway, this is what really happened. Um, basically, uh, I had been to see my girlfriend at the time who was... Uh, from a Sri Lankan family and um, her parents are away. So we stayed together for the weekend, obviously, as teenagers do. Um, people with teenagers like shaking their heads. Oh, God. Um, uh, and <clears throat> it was like mid morning on a Sunday. Um, sunny day, normal, completely normal day. I hadn't really been drinking particularly or anything like this. Um, and uh, I was just like lying on her bed, like waiting for her to make tea actually downstairs in the kitchen and um i had that feeling that someone was looking at me you know when you feel someone watching you feel the eyes on you and i looked in the mirror and uh because it was coming from that direction like the feeling was coming from that direction and when i looked in the mirror there was an old sort of 50-ish 50-something white lady uh standing on the other side of the bed from the mirror sort of looking towards me i'm making hand gestures but this is audio so it doesn't help um uh, uh <laughs> And like, so basically I turned my head to where the person person uh, was standing um, according to what I could understand from the reflection and there was nobody there. And this was on the second floor of the building as well. So like, um, so, you know, very high up off the ground. So it was impossible that there was anyone in the window. Um, and when I looked back, uh, there was nobody there. So I looked back to the mirror again, uh, having sort of thought, you know, maybe I'm just very tired or, you know, hallucinating or whatever, seeing things. And when I looked back to the mirror, she was there just like she was before still staring at me and I was like oh bloody hell um I didn't really panic until the third time I looked back at the mirror and she opened her mouth like as if she was going to speak uh-huh. and that kind of breaking of the communication barrier for some reason was the point where my like lizard brain went get the hell out of here um, yeah exactly and so I sprinted down the stairs um into the kitchen and my girlfriend at the time just uh, looked at me like uh, looking you know disheveled and uh, a bit of a mess and said like oh did you see that woman in my room and i was like what and yeah. uh, and then she kind of explained that she's seen her like you know like a few dozen times never had any problems with her so she doesn't really worry about it anymore and uh, i shouldn't worry about it but yeah evidently i did worry about it quite a bit and i didn't stay in that room for quite some time after that what sort of I worry about it. doesn't worry about things like that my god i mean i suppose like because she'd grown up in the house so i guess she'd seen her she said dozens of times, I suppose, like, well, you know, many, many times. So 
so I suppose she'd seen her from a young age. So I guess it was just like it's a fixture yeah. of the house. But yeah, mm-hmm. weird as hell. My God. Yeah, because I can't. Uh, I mean, I would. What I would have said to you. Oh, did you see that woman in the room I used to sleep in before I fucking saw her the first time and the last time? Precisely. <laughs> Me as well. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> The, the perfect story for her, though, Kev. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It had to be. It had to become a story at some point. So I found a way to to fashion it into a story. So yeah. You know, the funny thing is, is that I'm really, uh, really, really a skeptic. I mentioned that before. Um, don't really believe in ghosts or much of anything. And yet, at the same time, it's one of the things that scares the hell out of me the most. You know, <laughs> I guess because I've had some experiences. Um, I believe they're probably explainable, but I can't explain them and they were creepy as shit. And it's the fact that it's that unknown factor. What you know kind what of mean? experiences have you had? What's what's like what would be the creepiest experience you could think of, for example, that you'd had? Um something put a hole in my sister's wall above her on her bedroom wall above her head while she was sleeping. Um, I was there in the room for that because they had been having problems and they asked me to sleep in their room on the floor with them. So I was there and I heard it and uh, felt the plaster dust and like you know, punched it was like, a hole in the wall, like kind of like a a gay. It was a gabled, yeah, gabled um, upper room. Uh-huh. And yeah, one of the one of the side gables above my sister's head, like someone had just. Through a punch. Yeah. And uh, I was on the floor and felt the plaster dust from that. And they had people um, pull their hair while they were sleeping. Um, And we'd sit downstairs and we'd hear someone walk across the room and we'd hear the window slide up and it would be up in the middle of winter and things like that. um, But. we ended up eventually just switching out. So I was sleeping in that room and nothing ever happened in that room while I was there. Just the girls, any girl, yep. any female that ever slept up there had really bad times up there. <laughs> Bloody hell. Oh, yeah. you, you were very brave to offer to sleep in the room. I think I'd have been downstairs on the sofa. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, uh, the funny, it's just that funny thing is that it just never really registered me that they're was anything really super abnormal or threatening about it but i think but my sisters said just the opposite they said anytime they walked into the room they felt animosity so yeah let's just say yeah it's one of those things we want we want to know about but we don't want no because if you prove it you open the whole sort of kettle of worms about what's on the other side you know it's you have to go down that path it's i would like to stay somewhere haunted to see for myself i'm quite open-minded i've not had any real experiences apart from the the usual shape at the bottom of the bed when you're half asleep type Mm -hmm. thing um which is usually explained by sort of sleep paralysis or hallucinations yeah i'd like to know know. What about you, Ben? Have you had any experiences? I've had a, a couple, yeah. Well, the, the, the first one that I can think of, there's a, a place in North Yorkshire in, um, I think it's Otterburn, an old hotel. Uh, and when my daughter was a baby, she was about six weeks old, um, she never slept through the night like babies don't. 
Um, and I was on a work trip um, down to Yorkshire with my husband and we stayed at this really nice old hotel, the kind that has a suit of armor on the staircase okay. and wood paneling and just a really nice hotel. And they put us in this room and it was beautiful, big, four-poster bed and the, the, the walls were all covered in paintings and there was a big oak wardrobe. It was just really nice. My daughter slept in her carry cot at the side of the bed and we woke up the following morning and she hadn't woken up. And we were like, oh, the baby was fast asleep. She hadn't woken up the whole night. We went down for breakfast, spoke to the owner of the house and he had, he said, did you sleep well? And we went, yes. And the baby slept as well. He said, ah, oh, that's because you were in room, whatever number it was. And whenever anybody stayed in that room with the baby, the baby always slept through because there was an old nanny, apparently, that used to work from a fam- for a family that had met Sticky End. And she used to rock the babies to sleep. Oh but they never told anybody until the morning after. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah, because yeah, then you'd go, no, I don't want that room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I don't know, because because she, it wasn't that she just decided that she was going to go to sleep, because then she went back to her normal pattern of, of waking up two or three times a night. It was just that one night. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd have to go back to that hotel if I can remember where it was. You know, the funny thing is, is the one apparition I ever saw, it didn't scare me in the slightest. I mean, but, but it was also, I didn't, it didn't register that that's what I'd seen until after the fact, you know, I was in my house sitting down and went, wait a second, that couldn't have been Carl. That fucker died two years ago. You know, <laughs> just one of my neighbors, you know, and I wrote about him in, uh, what's that book? You're in it, Ev. Uh, Oh, contact. The, the one, yeah. the one from Cemetery Gates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what. It's. A, a quiet confessional. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So yeah, that was based on that experience. We just took something that was a nothing but a small forty-second experience where I said hi to somebody and turned it into something um, as violent as I was allowed to make it for a quiet horror collection or anthology (laughs) Um, and I was in my I was in what I call my alcohol phase everything I wrote had heavy heavy drinkers in it (laughs) (laughs) mid-pandemic you know I mean you know mid-2020 I I was pretty much a professional fucking drinker at that point in time too (laughs) like like half of the planet I think yeah right My beer subscription was very welcome that, uh, during that period. Yeah. Someone asked me what my superpowers were that I got with my with my vaccination. It was the ability to uh, to drink incredible amounts of alcohol. You know? <laughs> but, uh, curbed that a lot since then. Because um, I was because uh, it's it's too easy a road you know and i started hearing other people go god now i've been drinking so hard and so heavy now i can't i'm gonna end up needing to go through rehab to stop this crap Bloody you know hell, like, my god yeah no if i can't sit it down i don't want it yeah <laughs> but uh sorry i'm yakking so what have you got anything coming out uh, in 2022 that you can tell us about or is it all hush hush i've got Nothing coming out in 2022 at the moment, actually, which is um, 
uh, a bit of a strange situation. Um, I've recently finished uh, a novel. It's the first novel that I've written. Um, it's not a very long novel. It's about 43,000, 44,000 words, um, but it is a novel. Um, and Steph has very kindly beta read it for me. Thank you, Steph. Thank you very much. Um, uh, and Dan Howarth and another guy uh, that I know called um, Grant Longstaff are also beta reading it for me. So I'm waiting for their feedback. And then I'm going to get on the uh, the pitching train. Oh, that that, um, that deep dark train of pitching. Yes. Yeah, so be prepared for lots of swearing in my social media feed during the time <laughs> where I get rejected or like uh, just don't hear anything from for months at a time uh, from people. But yeah, I mean that's that's the big project that I'll be working on. I've got a few short stories, and also I'm doing a project at the moment with three other writers where we're all writing our own idea of a haunting um and that's sort of like in the embryonic phases i've written about two chapters and um but that's something we're going to put out as a self-published uh unit sort of just the four the four stories together and that will probably put out the middle of next year so yeah going that's exciting your, your, sorry going back to your novel it's not mm. not about story but you sent it to me and it's not titled how yes. hard do you find it to actually come up with a title for a for a work my god i think actually like I genuinely think I sweat more over titles and synopses than I do over a whole bloody book. It's just insane. And I, I'm, I'm sure you guys can relate as well. Like, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But like, I, I have such a hard time with it. Um, and I've spent some time with, you know, Tabitha Wood, um, who's like got this like sort of tried and tested like sort of way that she does for making titles. And so she got me to like brainstorm ideas, things that are in the novel. She came back to me with some titles and I was like, yeah, like, I don't know. I'm not sure. So even after like sort of wasting an evening of her life, <laughs> chatting that over with her, I still don't have a title for it. So. But you just know when it's the right title though, don't you? I That's mean, the thing, yeah. you kind of have a couple going circulating around your head yeah. and they're just not quite right. And then suddenly you'll be doing something and you'll go, oh, that's the one. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping that that penny will drop at some point. Um, it's a lot harder to pitch if you haven't got a title for it, so yeah. it needs to. The, the great unnamed. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, that's kind of relevant to the story, actually. So. No, you can pledge your title, <laughs> Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, my stress, my big stress is character names. Um. Character, I agonize over character names. You're very good at character names from what I've seen, though, Shane. It doesn't come easy. <laughs> well, the, you know, my favorite ones all just popped into my head. Yeah. The, you know, the ones that likely will change someday, I agonized over. Yeah, so, but uh, you, you all seem to be pretty astute at that. You don't seem to struggle with your character names at all. They all seem, it's like, whenever I na name a character, I feel like, kind of like I just named a stuffed animal or something. It just feels, you know, they don't feel real because I named them, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of like, I almost have to create the character first, you know, like a baby or something, and then I can name it because it's mine. You know? <laughs> But, but if you don't have the right name, that they don't speak to you. Like, yeah, it's true. Can, no. It's true, though, isn't it? You can call a character Jim, for instance, and you, you're writing, and every time you go, Jim said this or Jim said that, it's just, it's just it like pulling like teeth. Wooden and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then you realise that Jim doesn't want to be Jim at all. He wants to be somebody else. And then there's a, it's interesting how people come 
at that, you know, different writers, different, like, um, um, Tiffany McDaniel said, uh, when she was on Inc. Heist that, um, she has to have a perfect first line and a perfect title before she can start a story. She can't even begin. And then, the, and that's all she starts with. That's all she starts with are those two, those two <laughs> items. Amazing. <laughs> Um, I, I had, you know, the uncanny idea the other day of just starting every story with the end, you know, so then you got that part done and you're not working toward it so hard. (laughs) Um, so, uh, did we cover why you're in, why you're in Portugal? You're a teacher, right? Yeah. Yeah. I started, um, I used to be a, a financial analyst for about a decade. When I lived in uh, the UK, when I got out of university, I didn't know what to do after university, like like so many of us, I think. And yeah. uh, I had a philosophy and classics degree, which really helped with the not having a bloody clue what to do. And mm-hmm. um, so <laughs> I just started working in like uh, the company. I was already working like in a call center with Vodafone just to make a bit of money. It's like a mobile phone company. And um, and then a job was going for like some technical stuff. And I was a bit of a geek. So I just said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Fine. Went as a trainee. And ended up doing it for like 10 years, just not really knowing what to do. And as I worked for different companies, like I found that it was just a really soul destroying career, really, because like um, I was often working with people who were really good at my level. And then the management were often, you know, like sort of devoid of intellect, but very good at just saying yes to their boss in a sort of smiley way and nodding and kissing us. And it was just like just extremely frustrating. So I kind of reached like that point in the road where I was like, if I don't change career, I'm probably going to murder everyone. So uh, <laughs> I think changing career is going to be a lot more convenient and involve a lot less prison time. So, uh, so yeah, <laughs> there's some pretty smart dudes in prison, though. You probably would have got on. OK, all that time to, to write your next bestseller in prison. So maybe it wasn't a good yeah. <laughs> And, and and they're supporting you while you do it. You don't have to pay a dime for it. Mr. Bates. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, I think I'll pass on that option. Sorry, it's interesting hearing you say about your classics degree. Mm. I think in below you're sort of digging around in archaeological ruins a bit, and then in your new novel you're also digging around in ancient um, civilizations is that a path that you actually want to follow more in the future um i don't think i'd do it as a profession but like i've always been completely fascinated um by like ancient civilizations in particular like when i was growing up i was a complete like egyptian fiend like egyptological fiend like completely obsessed like i have four and a half hours of very large tattoo on my back to demonstrate my love for uh egyptian culture and like whenever i go i mean whenever i've been traveling it's always like i do i love like you know modern art renaissance art this kind of stuff you know when i go to a city but like but if there are like ruins from like long 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 ago then that is where you will find me on day one like that's my thing that's the thing that really excites me so yeah i mean i think i think if i did it as a job like not writing about it is fine but like i think if i did like research as a job i think i would find it infinitely less uh thrilling but like sort of yeah. as an interest like i've always just yeah loved it loved ancient cultures 
Well, I, th- I, th- I think if you if you do something, you know, for a living, it maybe takes away some of the, the like you said, the mystery, some of the magic of it. Mm. Yeah, especially like academic research is so like uh what's the word like it's it's so much like buried in the details you know like sort of just just you know lots of repeating the same process over and over again a bit like when i was a data analyst actually um but yeah so not not all that sort of exciting whereas like we can do you know like oh let's research this god here and what they did and what their worshippers did and then let's put it into a story with lots of blood and guts and it's all (laughs) fun times Um, it's interesting how our how our um college degrees never take us where we plan for them to you know and sometimes even don't take us there because we realize it was a very bad idea to start with you know we we're just because really when you go into college you're kind of too young to make those damn decisions yet you don't know what you're gonna be man you know uh, since i got out of college i've been 20 different things you know <laughs> so, you know, but it was kind of like you know start i started out i was going to be an english teacher you know um it's not the worst job i, I can confirm not to, yeah <laughs> not the best job in america either no, no. so i don't think it's the best job anyway to be honest it's kind of like my cousin joe learned how to my cousin joe became an english teacher and then learned japanese and went over there and made some money at it you know <laughs> but uh no it was like I, I got out of college and a friend said hey you used a computer in college right you know, because those were the brand new deal and the web was just starting to spring. And I, yep. Well, you want to you want to be my webmaster? Uh, sure. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> and there's my career for the next 10 years. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. What about you two? Did Bev and Steph, did you uh, go paths that you planned on going down? Absolutely not. I didn't go to college at all. I went and left, left school at 16 and went into a career that didn't interest me at all because I got offered a job and I was too naive to turn it turn it down. I went into banking. Oh, and you God. know I can't do anything with figures round. So yeah, I went into banking. <laughs> but not but not over the till. I I worked for the executor and trustee department, which is about as dry as it sounds. <laughs> and I did that yeah. for about five years and then I left and I went to the civil service which is kind of the same but just with more alcohol um Small mercies. yes and then I left that and um I did uh, learning support in schools I did uh, reading systems for primary school age children and then uh, I left that and became a writer but I'd always written I became a writer properly Wow. <laughs> Mine was very strange. My A-levels didn't turn out as I planned. I did biology, chemistry, maths. I wanted to be a biochemist and genetic, you know, genetic engineering. I wanted to do that, but it all sort of went a bit pear-shaped. So I went to college to do computing, uh, did a year of that, and I got a job for my industrial year. But when I went there, this was Smith's Industries and it's very male dominated. And I looked and I saw everybody just sat staring at screens. I thought, no, that's not me. <laughs> Dropped out two years on the dole, which was horrendous in the oh 80s. But, I, you know, I left home in the end and got a job in Wales, which is where I met Geraint. And then it was a few years 
in a confectionery company doing quality assurance, learning about pest control, which should help with the mice in the attic at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was down south and tech authoring. But when I was doing the tech authoring, I started my open <coughs> university degree. And I got that degree several years and two children later. Um, first class um, honours. Was that in English? No, it's it's humanities, um, okay. but it was they didn't name them then. It's effectively a history degree. Okay. And I got a first class honours, which I, I was chuffed about. Yeah, my God, amazing. And what did I do after that? Oh, I had kids, career break, then into secondary school, library, literary, literacy specialist with the youngsters. They well with the teens, uh, SEN support. And then it got too much the other year and we moved and now I'm writing hopefully full time. So it has been, you know, like that, a bit of a roundabout meandering and picking up. in a good place now. Yeah, well, hopefully. But the history, like you're saying with your classics, that's feeding into your writing. Mm. The history I'm beginning to use more in mine. It's partly why I love the Victorian era, family reasons and also what I studied but I'm now doing some research on the Edwardian era for another book that I'm going to write, which is not going to be horror. But I'm digging around in that and rediscovering history. But that's also because of talking to Coy Hall the other week. Yeah. When started, uh, he started talking about it and I started getting more nonfiction. I had a load of nonfiction anyway, but I'm picking it up again and reading it again and sort of rediscovering the love of history. So, yeah, roundabout life, but it, it feeds your work, I think. So you, yeah, yeah. Didn't you pick up that book that he recommended, something about an executioner? Yes, yes. It's it's on my bedside table. It'll be read in about three or four books time, I think. But I did start reading the intro because I was on the train home when I picked it up. And it was about how the swordsmen were practising on uh, various plants at first or swinging the axe or whatever it was. And I think it was a tur- was it, ru- was it a rhubarb stalk, I think, was the closest to a human neck or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that just this does not make it. any sense to me at all. <laughs> it's, it's, if you are a sort of an apprentice executioner, um, th- this executioner was learning the trade from his dad, who was teaching him how to sort of cut things with the axe. And he went through various um, stages. And I'm certain it was a rhubarb stalk that was close to the, the sort of human's neck. That get, you know, it was the most effective to learn from. It's just really bizarre. I want I mean, to go I back hate to rhubarb, so uh, that would be. I'd be very enthusiastic if I was training right. on rhubarb. I love rhubarb. Oh, rhubarb no, I can't stand it. But not not very comforting if if you were the first person after the uh, the apprentice had, had served his apprenticeship and it was like <laughs> it'll, it'll be fine. You're the first one, but I'm really good at rhubarb. <laughs> <laughs> I do a good crumble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jesus, oh my word. I only have to hit the rhubarb four or five times, you should be fine, buddy. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Like, I promise to do you in at least th- in, in three, no more. Yeah. Three, no and more. if I've got that completely wrong, then what I've said is a load of rhubarb. But... <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I look forward to more fascinating details as you get through it, Steph. Oh, I need to go back. I'm on the Edward, as I say, on the Edwardians at the moment, which is just as good. Just good. Yeah. Did you, have you read um, Wakenhurst, Michelle Paver? That's set in the Fens in Edwardian times. No, it's on my Kindle. I've had it there Brilliant. a while, but I haven't read it. I read her Dark Matter. I just I finished that one today. That is really good. Really good ghost story, that one. Yeah. 
sorry, I keep forgetting to write her name down. Bev keeps mentioning her to me, so I was just taking that opportunity. <laughs> That's what I do mostly on these podcasts is listen to you all talk and write names down. <laughs> Solid approach. I'm getting it down as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, though. Um, somebody was talking about... Uh, education levels and writers and you know um because of the old uh nfa argument um you know that some people feel like you really have to have that you know really high level of education to you know really be um you know like qualified writers. To be a writer almost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but uh you know then i think about like bev dropped out of school when she's 16 i dropped out of high school at the beginning of ninth grade as soon as it was legal for me to do so and didn't go to college until um oddly after i was in prison for two years in my early 20s so um i decided that wasn't someplace i wanted to revisit you know but uh but um and yeah there's uh, there are other people james elroy didn't have any kind of a degree whatsoever not even a high school degree you know and um but then, you know, it's, the, it's like I'm not did I don't I don't uh, begrudge anyone that education It's brilliant. If I if, you know, if I had the time and the money and the inclination, I would love to go that route just to have that, you know, kind of solid foundation. But um, a creative is a creative. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. It, it depends on your own drive and your own willingness to um, even no matter how well educated you are, if you are not willingness, willing to self teach, I don't think this is the job for you. You know, <laughs> I think most qualifications are about survival, aren't they? Like, I mean, yeah, when I learned to be a teacher, you know, when I did my qualification to be a teacher, it was like a, uh, it was very, very apparent very quickly that like, doing the qualification is enough so that you don't like completely crash and burn when you get to the classroom but if you want to actually be good at it like anything you have to apply yourself to yeah. to the to the craft right like, yeah. yeah 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 i did mine more out of more to prove a point i think to myself because everything had gone wrong earlier and it's something i'd always wanted to do but i put off and then a close friend of ours had died I think it was, we were 27, he had a brain tumour oh, and he'd been fighting that for a number of years. And it's one of those moments where you think, oh, if you don't do it, you know, it makes you get Who knows, on. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so I did that, but it was very much to prove to everyone that I could do it. And it sort of filled a gap with me. And I was actually doing the subject that I wanted to do and not what my father had sort of guided me towards I mean, <laughs> lovely bloke but when I wanted said I wanted to do history is what are you going to do teach <laughs> is it sciences? so yeah so when I did my degree it's what I wanted to do and to prove to myself yeah, yeah. it wasn't linked with the job as such back then but I loved it I love studying um yeah that's a hang-up of mine too I, I could have been a professional college student for the rest of my life um it was really hard for me to walk away from college when it became necessary you know? <laughs> because uh i don't know i you know because well because books <laughs> because my whole world was surrounded by books you know um 
um, poetry and literature and, you know, granted other crap I didn't want to read too, but the whole culture of academia really, really, really fit my ideal, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 I completely get it. I mean, I've been doing uh, work in the UK for the last few summers um, uh, at universities and like, yeah, just being back in that environment, it kind of, it's really apparent, like the difference in terms of the objectives that you have relative to like where I'm working in a language school, you know, in Portugal or previously in Poland or Turkey or whatever, where it's more, you know, it, it, it's an educational endeavor, but it's it's still very much a business. Whereas like in academia, you know, of course there is a business element to it, but like, um, uh, but like you can see it's much more like a place of learning first, you know what I mean? And like, yeah, yeah. I really, I really feel that and like feel at home in it. Yeah, there's kind of a little bit of a, kind of an energy there, like an energy of, I don't know, of discovery, I guess, mm. or, you know, um, granted, I don't know, you know, I mean, you never stop discovering really, but at that age, at the age most college students are, they, they have this huge passion that goes along with every new thing they learn and every person they meet and that, you know, and the main thing that they're discovering in that period, I think for me anyway, was, um, myself, you know, <laughs> sure. totally relatable or at least that version of myself. <laughs> what do you think about, um, MAs then or MFAs in America? The, well, the writing, because I know I've noticed a number of writers in recent years are all, have all been sort of studying for their MAs, I don't know if any of you have them or do you see a value in getting them? I wouldn't say I don't see a value in my case, but I would say that like with the costs involved, like the value would have to be pretty dramatic. Um, and uh, like 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 Shane kind of alluded to, like I think that if if you are prepared to work on your craft anyway, then I think you can kind of get to the place that you need to be in as an author. I, I, I don't I don't know if uh, if it's going to give me that much more uh, than I than I can get to through hard work and determination and focus on the craft. Um, and certainly not enough for me to say, for example, like shell out what, like 10 grand, 12 grand, like uh, straight away. You know, and in the States, I realize it's obviously a lot more than that. Uh, yeah. But like we're in the lucky world of Europe where education is still just about affordable. Uh, but yeah, you know what I mean? What about you, Beth? What do you think? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's not, not something I've ever thought about. I don't think it's something that you that you need uh, as a writer. In fact, I, I know someone that did one and then couldn't write a thing for two years because it just took all the joy out of it for them. Because it was a case of you have to do this and you have to do that. You have to be in this formula or else it's no good. And then you have to rejig it and, and create this. And, and it just took everything away from them. They, they just couldn't write for two years. Yeah. So, no, I, 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 don't, I don't think it's anything that you need. All right. I just, I'm an R over it because I, I still like the idea of studying. Although now I keep thinking I'll probably forget a lot of things that I'm taught so I don't dare do that anymore um, and then on the other hand I've achieved a certain amount already so I'm still not sure but I, it's this idea of the study aspect I think that mm -hmm. pulls me not the money 
You could, you, could, you, could, you could just create this huge new book with loads and loads of research needed stuff and then you could do all your research and, and say that was studying and then you'd have a book out of it. Well, that's pretty much what I'm doing for the yeah. <laughs> I think if you want to study like craft stuff as well, there's so many places like, you know, like Lit Reactor offer these courses. And I think, you know, in terms of like looking at things that are your like writing objectives, like, um, you know, for example, like, Gabino runs one that's like on writing the other that I think would be really fascinating. I'm sure it'd be really useful. Yeah, and that's yeah. something like much lower investment in terms of cash, but also in terms of time as well. And you can easily more easily manage it with like, you know, a day job if you have that or a writing schedule. Uh, he says, you know, like while trying to scratch together the odd hour to write now and then. But you know, you know what I mean? Easier and, than an MFA anyway. And much more relevant as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now. Yeah, I remember yeah. doing um, Linda Addison's poetry one um, at Horror University, but it was sort of two o'clock in the morning because <laughs> it was over there. <laughs> and I did do um, half of one of Gabino's marketing with, I, it was his marketing with no with budget. No budget. It was very good. I bet it's but again, it was two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. so like matchsticks keeping the eyes open. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> But I, I, yeah, it's. I'll have to think about these things. But as you say, money is quite a barrier these days. Mm. But we'll especially see. if you're going full time with writing. Yeah, I mean, it's just. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you'll make it work, but also there is a certain amount of belt tightening involved, isn't there? Like. Yeah, when you've got kids at home, um, you know, hopefully, well, they're sort of job hunting and things. They'll find their way, but it's you know energy bills going up and things like that so just yeah. being a bit careful at the minute but of course yeah it, it, it doesn't help when you start losing windows in your house just like oh, no. storms yeah. that come across i just see it every time i'm in the kitchen you just see the cracks on the other side of the window and you hear uh and the panels are still down outside and it's uh and then the wheelie bins keep going over because it's windy again and it's just uh so yeah oh. this is me as an author expressing myself with lots of meaningful words going uh <laughs> the problem with a storm like that too is that it is that all of your uh carpenters and repair people and glaziers and people like that are all busy helping everybody in the damn country not just or on you know in wales not just you you know yeah there, there's worse uh up Line. scotland they're still at the minute yeah they're still without yeah. power aren't they in a lot of places yeah 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 strange world um it was funny too and i think i always mentioned global warming to some degree somewhere but um we're having a snow what's called a snow drought in the lower 48 here in the u.s and hawaii had a fucking blizzard warning yesterday um (laughs) and they've had more they've had more snow in hawaii than we've had in denver colorado this year and that's the snowiest state in our it's crazy (laughs) yeah um, and I shouldn't laugh, but I mean, why not? What else am I going to do about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I could pray, but that would be futile too, and it wouldn't be near as fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to bring this back around to, to books now. Cause yes, yes. We're rambling as usual, and we <laughs> like to ramble. Have you got a favourite short story of yours, Kev, that you've written? You've got a favourite one? Um. Yeah, I think I think probably actually I, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cop out and uh, pick two because it's one that people have like selected as their favourite from well, the majority of readers anyway, selected as their favourite from my collection, which is um, uh, it's called The Solstice. And it's like a kind of folkloric kind of tale set in the north of Portugal with this tradition, actually, that they still do now, which is really cool. Where like on the winter solstice, uh, people in this like sort of small like mountainous area, like wear these like colourful masks to ward off the um, spirits, like dark spirits at the end of the... Uh, on, the, on the shortest on the longest night basically um, and I just thought what a wonderful story so I said it kind of in a distant kind of past well yeah like a few hundred years ago past um, and kind of made it this kind of ritual that like the all the kids in the village have to go and get a mask made so that they can protect them the, the people from from these uh, monsters but there's only one kid left in the village so that's kind of the story so yeah it's kind of it, I think it has a lot of parallels with the balance in terms of like my, which was my novella um in terms of like it being that kind of fairy tale folklore kind of feel mm. um so I, I can see why people like it i really like it as well but i think my personal favorite is this uh like sort of short novelette i suppose called curfew that came out last year from domain publishing in their short sharp shocks range and like someone i think it was dave jeffrey when he reviewed it said uh, it reminded him of an episode of tales of the unexpected uh-huh. And that just like made my heart swell because like I grew yeah. up watching that show and um, uh, and it's just because it's just uh, it's kind of like something where like there's not really any scares like as such, but just something is just off for the, yeah. from the beginning to the very end. So that's that's what I really like about it. Yeah. They're the best kind of stories, though, where a reader can't quite work out why you get that sort of feeling of dread, but they know something's wrong and then you just build it up. That's kind of story. Yeah, that's my fave. What about you guys? What are your favourite shorts that you've written? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm quite partial to the one I first wrote for um, Diabolica Britannica, the charity anthology that came out um, April 2020. The Secret of Westport Fell, which is actually in um, Stefan Alley's Daughter of Darkness 2. Uh-huh. Um, it just, it's, it's just got all the proper gothic motifs. It's about this young woman who is uh, considered too old for marriage, set in the Victorian times. Mm. She goes to stay with her maiden aunt in an old house by the sea and things start to happen in a neighbouring graveyard. And she's got everything I love about gothic horror. Like I say, they're yeah. creeping around with candles and the sound of the sea and the, the wind. And yeah, I love that one. Okay. Yeah, I have not read it actually, but I will. Need, I need to check it out because I've got the Daughters of Darkness book, but I just haven't got to it yet. Uh, Steph, go on. Uh, I'll say I've got two. Um, the first is The Dance. It's the original short that led on to Five Turns of the Wheel. I included it in the collection that I put out this year, and it's how it's an introduction to the characters of Tommy, Betty, and Fiddler, and how they create this ritual on the village green with these rapper swords. It's but and it was bringing in parts of my childhood, which were non-ritualistic, I must say, <laughs> but bringing in the pub aspect and the sort of characters, the farmers in there. And I, I really like that and those characters and they're still with me now and it lurking in another book that's resting. That's my sort of love of folk horror thing from there. And the other one is a more recent one, Crimea River, that was in the What One Wouldn't Do anthology that Scott Moses put out recently. And that is a futuristic thing of a woman 
trying to keep her baby alive in an incubator, although she doesn't know it, but her child actually died. But the energy that she's generating on this bike is um, actually keeping another woman's child alive. And this other woman and her husband are watching her and trying to keep her pedaling on this bike that generates electricity that sort of boosts the power in the bunker. And it's it's really it's all three characters about what they would would do to keep their child alive, what they think. And that was actually inspired from my trips to the gym and being dripped on from a height from the condensation bikes. And that's a bit of the story, but it's it's quite a grim. I guess um, it sounds very bleak stuff, but quite yeah. intriguing as well. It is because I I, li- I just like the way that I matched at the start with with her and then the crying of what she is this woman is experiencing with what the woman who is pushing her to mm-hmm. her end is experiencing as well they're watching each other and so although it, you start off feeling sympathy for the one character at the end you do feel for both the mothers um because what mother wouldn't do anything to yeah. save a child yeah, obviously, yeah. somebody say it is it is bleak but i do i do like it and it does seem to have been quite well received that's all that's all you can hope for isn't it yeah. <laughs> what about you shay favorite poems you've written oh favorite poems um would have to be uh seven snapshots oh, love that one. um in uh weird tales what, what one wouldn't do the one in Weird Tales is uh Oh that's God the of, what? Yeah, the pig. <laughs> the weird pig. <laughs> uh, that 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 poem is actually courtesy of uh Linda Addison. <laughs> Cause she was when when I got invited to that call, the the weird pig one, um, and this is just f- fun, more fun than my story for the other one. Um, I panicked and I contacted Linda. I said, I have no idea what I should do. I've never written a poem like this. I don't even know where to start. Or, and, um, she says, just pick, pick an animal that you think would be fun to try to make into a werewolf type creature. And then go, go, um, look it up on Wikipedia, (laughs) start there and see what happens. And the next thing I know, yep, we're pig. (laughs) so uh she's an endless source of uh inspiration and knowledge for so many of us Mm. uh um i forgot what i was gonna say something to do with that but never mind i was trying to keep it bookish um yeah that's it that one um this is Seven Snapshots of a Broken Heart was a really special poem to me because it was I had the I had the first verse of that poem and that was it. And then uh, I got invited to that call and um, started looking through my stuff going, I, there's something there was something nagging at me. And that poem had set for almost two years, just that one verse sitting in uh, one of my journals and I found it. And that was what was nagging. And then the rest of it just kind of. It was kind of almost like, you know, when you write a story and the story kind of starts telling itself to you. Mm. you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and 
I've been told by a lot of people, and I think myself as well, um, not to sound arrogant, that it's the best poem I've written, um, or had been at least up to that point in time. I think I've done better now. God, I hope I have now anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's mine. I'm also very fond of my my second short story, The Witness Tree. <laughs> <laughs> So my short stories are easier to pick a favor from. Yeah, but that, that, that was one you sweated over, wasn't it? That one. I remember yeah. saying, "Oh, I can't get it by because it was was that was that the one that had to come in at under a thousand words." Yeah, well, yeah. it had to come in under twenty five hundred, but I brought it in under a thousand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I honestly thought because I lowballed it like that, that I probably didn't have that much of a chance. But as it turned out. Um, Sullivan at Cemetery Gates is really super fast so it was the strangest submission I ever made because I submitted that one and um, it was literally like 10 minutes later hey <laughs> yeah, I'm, it's like because remember I wrote it too soon thinking I was coming up against a deadline <laughs> and then found out after I finished it that I had to wait like two weeks before I could submit it. And then I <laughs> didn't submit it till the end of the deadline. Um, but but, but Joey, yeah. Joey's always just so super quick. You send him an email and then bang, two minutes later, no matter mm-hmm. what time zone you're in, he's always there. He never sleeps. <laughs> yeah. Never sleeps. Um, yeah, we're compatible that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's really, really fast. Even when we did the edits on on the first story he bought it was kind of like um here do this okay here how's this no how about this okay how's this okay yeah that's good let's go you know (laughs) it's the (laughs) easiest edits i've ever done as far as the communication goes you know (laughs) but uh do you guys have um um favorite uh not stories but publications that you've um um, published in or editors that you've worked with? Like I said, Cemetery Gates has always been good to me and they're very professional. Um, uh, I haven't had anything put out by Silver Shamrock, so I can hand that over to Kevin Staff. Silver Shamrock are very good. Kenneth, as an editor, is blunt, very yes. direct and just says fix it and you do it. But it's completely professional and it's all done to get the, the best from you. So I've got no issue with that. We've worked on three books now because it's just taken the edits back for the novella that's coming out next year. Um, so that's being proofread at the moment. So that's further along the line. So they have always been good. And also, I always get it wrong. Is it Bridget or Brigitte's? Bridget's Gate, isn't it? For Bridget's the, Gate, yeah. Yeah, yeah Bridget. He's, I know they're a new press, but they have been very good as well. Mm-hmm. Everything's up front. And yeah, I'm very, very impressed with them. Yeah, yeah, very transparent yeah. and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So they are very good. Yeah, hey, that's one. And all four of us got in their first publication. Um, yeah. Weird tales. Yeah. Delighted to be part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Me too. Um. And I, I'm sure over the years, you, you guys will all, will share many TOCs together. 
So that's my I, goal anyway. Let's hope so. That's, uh, I was going to yeah. say, we can throw in another one here, we a silent on, dystopia. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're, yeah. we're both in a silent dystopia that's just come out. And I'm yeah. waiting for Dave to do his reading because I sat in the churchyard and froze and did mine. <laughs> I actually did it this afternoon, but like in the comfort of my uh, living room. So uh, <laughs> same place as I am now. Um, but yeah, I, I put it up earlier. But it's it's tricky with like that with the kind of Twitter two minute and a bit kind of uh, time limits. Um, I didn't get to kind of get into the meat of my story, really. So I hope people will be intrigued enough by by the introduction. Uh, to the story because it's a it's a bit of a long one it's about eight thousand words actually and that was a really interesting experience working with David Griffith because when I wrote the story there was a flashback in the middle which kind of was hinted at and a very brief very briefly kind of hinted at and when he sent it back to me um, and the story is about 4k he sent it back to me and he said like uh, Kev we need to see the flashback like we need to live the flashback because I think it's too important and I was like mate it's, it's four thousand words already and he goes you've got an eight thousand limit just go nuts and I was like bloody hell all right then and um, I mean to be honest like uh, he pushed me a lot with the editing of that story but I feel like the final version of it is like a hundred times better than it would have been without it so I'm really glad that he made me put that extra work in because I'm really proud of the story now so yeah 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 I mean a good a good edit editor can sometimes see what you can't because you're too close to it exactly and can see that if something needs to be expanded on or something needs to be yeah. taken out and even though you might not agree at first, like you say, after the event, you're like, yeah, this is much better. Yeah, it kind of hurts you at the time, doesn't it? It's kind of like, oh, <laughs> like an emotional wounding. But yeah, uh, but yeah, after I definitely feel feel the benefit. Yeah. Linking in with that, because that was a shared world. That was Dave Jeffries, the post-apocalypse world that he's created with his books. Each of you, which universe or which author's world would you like to write in if you were given the chance? Crikey. Okay. Oh. I can't go first on this one. I need a, need a minute. And yeah. while you're answering, I can think about mine. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you've got to go first, Steph. No, no, no. Question. I only just thought the question. <laughs> oh, God. That's what's my bit. So difficult, isn't it? Oh, I know. I know. Um, uh, Ray Bradbury's um, Something Wicked This Way Comes. Oh yeah. I'd like to be in that sort of dark carnival um universe. That 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 environment that sort of environment. That's mine. There you go. Now yours. Wow. Oh god. Maybe, maybe something Stephen King esque, one of these wonderful, you know, main towns that he writes about. What was what was the town in Needful Things? I know, I know. Okay, okay. Was, was that Castle Rock? Might have been, might have been, yeah. yeah. And all the King fans are now groaning at me. It's not. Um, but, but yeah, just, just one of those yeah. tight knit little sort of American communities where something always goes horribly wrong. Because yeah, he does so much detail, doesn't he, with the shops and the owners and the people going up and down the street. When I need to escape when I'm reading, I go in, you know, I love to pick up a Stephen King because you're in there and there's this whole world. Yeah. So you, you could fit someone in there, give them a shop or B&B or something and just have a whale of a time with his monsters. And the and fact that he revisits the places as well, I think, like, kind of gives it extra life, doesn't it? Like, you know. You come back and you see how things have developed or not. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Really, I really, I really care. It's like really really what, what about you, Shane? 
Can you hear me? Shane, have we lost you? Uh, I can you hear me? Yes, there was there was a bit of interference, and I don't think you could hear what we were saying. No, I couldn't. I uh, um, it's the sound gremlin. No, one one of my uh, one of my um, I only had one earbud in, and it died on me, so I had to swap. Oh, <laughs> okay. We, um, Steph asked the question: if if we could, uh, was it writing one universe that wasn't our own? What would it be? Yeah. Uh, and so now we're mm-hmm. throwing it open to you. If you could write in a universe, somebody else's universe, what, what would it be? Oh, that's really, really a tough yeah, one. Yeah, still thinking as well. Yeah, yeah I'm completely stumped. It's my bad. <laughs> movie universe, all right. We could say a movie franchise or, you know, a film as well as an author. Honestly, I think if I were going to, it would be... Um, Dan Simmons, Hyperion, and Endymion universes. Um, I think he had great opportunity to make those. I mean, they were already horrifying, but I think he had great opportunity to make those into potentially some of the best sci-fi horror novels that were ever written. And I think he, I think he, he did an excellent job on those novels, but he missed a chance there. Um, and I'd love to take a shot at that world and, um, kind of illustrate what I mean by that. I think you could really scare the hell out of people with his main villain in that. So. No, I, I haven't read those. Um, it does take some. Uh, it takes some love of sci-fi. They're they're fairly uh, fairly hard sci-fi. Mm, it's not my favorite genre. I'm not saying I, I don't enjoy it, but. It's not one that I would possibly pick off a shelf if there were other ones to choose from. They're just, yeah, they're very hard sci-fi, and I don't really normally read a lot of that stuff like that, but they were so incredibly dark and um, terrifying. Um, and his, uh, he came up with one of the most believable uh, lights, faster-than-light travel um, scenarios that just still to this day just makes my body just fall to pieces when I think about it. Cause that's essentially that's what happens is you get put in what they call a crash and the, and the G force from moving at faster than light speeds crushes you to a bloody pulp. Um, but you have an implant that re- reconstructs your body when you get to your destination. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, Ouch. It's like, oh, no, fuck you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm staying on Earth. I always wanted to go to space, but not anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah, God. that's mine. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go uh, left field and pick a video game, actually. I'd love to write something in the Silent Hill world. Oh, that'd be awesome. Because that scared the living hell out of me as a kid. I actually wrote a song based on it, actually, when I was in a, a screaming death metal band uh, a few years ago. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so ripe for it. I, I, I'm no, not, no, definitely not. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a gamer, but I, but I, I, lo- I love the theme song. So that every time it comes on, it's just like you just know what it's from. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, my, um. My youngest daughter still to this day remembers that she 
got up to get a drink of water or something one night and I was playing Silent Hill and she still has nightmares about it because she stood in the hallway behind me and watched me play. For oh, fair enough. Yeah, no, so and she was, uh, I think she was six at the time, so Jesus, it left yeah. an impression. Yeah. My God. Uh, yeah. It toughens them up. <laughs> <laughs> Character building, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yes. Um, where was that? Sorry, I'm looking at at the wrong notes here now. <laughs> well, I, so, I actually, I actually found, found my notes from last time, but we've we've we've, we've gone over mo- most of what uh, the questions I asked last time. <laughs> Steph looks like she's got a couple. I've got. Oh, I just trying to think. You know, we did this before, and then you think, oh, do I ask this again, or you know, it's sort of moved on a bit. But okay, what's the worst thing about writing for each of you? Uh, okay. Um, the, the the bit the, the bit in the middle where you're not sure whether you, your story has actually got any point to be continued because you start off great, don't you? You have all these wonderful ideas. And for me, I always know my ending, but sometimes when I get to the middle, it's such a hard slog to grasp all those threads and pull them together. And I always go through the awful self-doubt phase for you know, a few weeks where you think, oh, should I just scrap this and start again? Mm. I'll start something else. That, for me, is always the worst thing, that self-doubt in the middle. And once I get past that, I'm fine again. But every story I've written, you get that bit in the middle. Yeah, I'm gonna go with no, you actually. Like no, that that no, loss no. of momentum in the middle. Oh, yeah. oh my god, I just hate it. Yeah, yeah. The swamp. The swamp. The, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the swamp. What about you, Steph? It's, it's, it's usually about thirty thousand words, and then I think it's been going great. And I thought, where am I going with this? It's rubbish, and mm. that's hard to get over. But I just keep writing, and what I write may be rubbish, but it sees me through. That little bit. I don't. I don't stop. But it is huge. That. What am I doing here? Nobody will like this. Yeah. Mm. But you, you have all these ideas, don't you? And you have your characters doing different things. And some part of you innocently thinks that, oh yes, yeah, so I'll get to a certain point, and and it'll all just sort of fall into place. And then yeah. it doesn't. <laughs> mine, mine usually does by about three quarters. I know where I'm going. So I don't have any plan at all. No, um, I don't. But it it's say so that's that's the bit. Yeah. What about you, Shane? What horrifies you? Um, honestly, the idea itself. I have no confidence in my ideas when I sit down to write something. Basically, you know, similar to what Steph said, I start writing thinking I have a great idea, and I get about a paragraph in and go, "This is fucking stupid." Um, and it's hard. It's really, really hard for me to get past that. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, I had somebody i want to say john langan no josh mallerman one of those two anyway said um it's one of the most important things is to to trust your ideas um don't don't second guess yourself if you if you have were passionate about the idea keep writing and see where it goes no um i suck at that i get i start doing that well this is just silly this couldn't happen. It's like, well, of course it couldn't happen. It's a fucking horror story. Shut up and write. <laughs> you know? 
one of the ways I find actually to, to fix that particular problem is like sometimes I'll just say to you know one of my other writer friends I'll say so I'm writing a story at the moment and I'll kind of give them like a synopsis of like the idea you know like obviously I said earlier I hate synopsis but you know what I mean like sort of give them like the the lowdown on the idea and often they'll like go oh that sounds really cool I want to read that and you're like yeah that does sound really cool doesn't it I'll stop giving myself a hard time and go back and write the bloody thing um so yeah okay yeah. what about the opposite then what's the best thing about writing uh I think when you're in the flow you know like when you're in the zone those days when like like um Bev said earlier like when you get to that point and the story just goes like you just you just type I'll tell you what's going on and uh, yeah. it just just <laughs> flows out of you like water or something it's amazing yeah. Bev? Oh, I love that part sometimes you know when you've maybe got three quarters of the way into a story and you're just missing that one vital link that ties everything together and then you're sat there writing and your character goes and then this happens and then you can see it all mm. and it's perfect and you can't type quickly enough because you know exactly where it's going I love that feeling it's like yeah. gold dust mm. yeah I'll share that one <laughs> yeah awesome. same, same here right Shane um for me it's kind of it's kind of a combination really it's kind of like kev said when you find yourself in that zone and it's just flowing um and it's basically like it's writing and you're just holding the pen so to speak you know i don't actually write by hand because i'm too lazy for that but um um the other side though is as a poet it's so important to me that what i'm writing speaks well um and when when you when it flows like that and you come to the end and you go back and you start reading it aloud and it's just kind of like a really dark rap song sort of you know it's just got the perfect cadence all the way through and the punctuation matches your voice to a t and everything just kind of falls into place and um that's just magic to me yeah it's kind of like I started out writing songs, um, so it's a perfect achievement for me when a, a poem I write, in spite of the lack of um, rhyme or you know any musical backing or anything like that, comes out feeling like a song to me. Mm. So that's my sweet spot. Yeah, if if only we could bottle all these sweet spots. Yeah. Yeah. When <laughs> so we're in the land that. of self doubt and in the swampy <laughs> land of self doubt, we could sort of take a quick. A quick drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Steph? Oh, mine was the same as Bears. When you, you get to that point, and it's usually about three quarters of the way through, and suddenly something just happens yes. in the story, and you can see yeah. the end, and you're just writing towards that finish line, and then you do the end in a final full stop, and it's done, and it's just, yeah, it's the best. <laughs> Um, I can't say that much about short story writing. My favorite part of those is always the end. <laughs> um, really, so far, it's been more always when um, critique partners and beta readers pass them back and say, this is a good story. That's, the, that's my favorite part of actually writing stories um, so far, both of them. <laughs> How many how many uh, beta readers do you use then, and what would you would you recommend them to say newer writers who are coming up? 
what about the importance of people, other people reading your work? I have I think, a couple, yeah, couple of petite partners, and then when they've gone through it and give me their feedback, and I've uh, done another draft, then it goes to my street team of beta readers. I've usually got about four or five, and some are writers, and some are readers, and some are both. I try and have a like a selection of different people. How do you cope with that number one? It's four or five because I've done that with short stories, and you get different people saying different things about your story and then not actually sort of damage your confidence when it comes to the story itself yeah you've got, it's one of these subjective things sometimes somebody can say something and if nobody else picks it up then I think it's up to you as a writer to look at it and decide whether actually it does need changing but then there could be that one thing that maybe two people or three people pick up and then you know it does need changing mm. So I always look at it subjectively. I, I I don't just go in and change everything that people say. Yeah. 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 When I give beta, beta feedback, I always say actually in the email or whatever, like, you know, take what works, discard what, what doesn't. Because like, you know, it's your story at the end of the day and it might just be my perspective and my perspective is you yeah. know, only worth whatever it's worth, you know. So, mm. yeah. But I mm. tend to use like uh, two or three. I try, try, try to use three when I can. Mm. Um, and I have um, like Dan's been beta reading my work Dan has been beta reading my work for quite some time and I've been beta reading his as well and so I think we have a good idea of like what each of us is looking for like um in that but then I try to also have a different beta reader for every like long form piece at least like so someone who hasn't beta read for me before so I can mm-hmm. like get a fresh perspective um and different approach so yeah I think that's quite important for me anyway okay um, I use generally, I, I kind of the same approach as Bev, a little bit different. Um, I have two critique partners, um, and I run it through them. Um, and then I have three beta readers, um, after that, uh, but it's important to me that I try to make it everybody that I have read for me, somebody that I think is better than me. Um, that's important to me because I want, I want the people giving me the feedback. I mean, I, when it comes to the beta stage, um, I have one person who's a writer and two people who are just, you know, fluent readers, um, um, prolific readers, but at the critique stage, I want those people to be better than me. You know, um, I want them to be able to teach me something and I want them to, I want to know that they can see, um, the flaws, you know, because I'm aware of the fact that I'm still, uh, I still have a lot to learn and that there are a lot of people out here in the indie community with a lot more knowledge and experience than me. So that's key. That's critical to me. But, um, but as far as importance goes, they're hugely important to me. The most important part of my whole I guess I would never impo- imposter syndrome would crush me if I didn't have critique partners and beta readers. So I think, you know, that alone is worth its weight in gold, you know. Mm. <laughs> well, they, they just see things that you you miss because you're you're so close to a story and you've probably read it mm. about 20 times by the time it goes out to them anyway. Mm. And they can yeah. just take a fresh pair of eyes and look at it and see any inconsistencies or anything that doesn't work for them or a character that seems off and 
yeah, like you say, their, their experience is just uh, worth an awful lot. Yeah, I've reduced, yeah. Yeah, I've reduced mine down to sort of two or three now. And because I used to have, I was part of a, a story uh, group and you'd write a story a month and you'd all critique each other's. And then there was something else that it's led to. And you'd have several people critiquing one story. By the end of it, you just didn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think at that point, I actually sent a story out without taking into account any of their comments. And it was published. And that was a Flame Tree Press one. So I think it's learning to have confidence in your own writing as well yeah. against what the critique, you know, back in. And I think that's yes. you, 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 that takes a while, doesn't it? Yeah, in the end, you just have to trust your own voice. Yeah, but I think that trust in your own work doesn't come for a few years, does it? No, it's doesn't. much further down the line. Mm. But it is important to listen to that, too. Like you say, if I mean, no matter who it is, whether I mean, obviously a little bit more leeway with editors, but whether it's a beta reader or an editor, whoever, as Kev said, every suggestion is just a suggestion, even if it's mm. presented to you as an instruction um because because it's your art it's your you know that would be like that would be like someone walking up to a painting you did and demanding that you change it you know um it's it's your choice you you know listen to people who are smarter than you um obviously with editors you want to go if they're pushing hard on it okay is it worth pushing back so hard i might lose the sale because if it is that worth it to you then do that you know um well, like anything it's a case of choosing your battles isn't it like you know the, what, yeah. what are the things that are really fundamental to you those are the battles to be chasing the ones that you know perhaps aren't then yeah let them slide yeah yeah, yeah. and i mean and it's also important you know something John Taft said to me with one of the stories I published because I, I was asked to change something I didn't really want to. And I was talking to him about it. He said, um, but it's your story. You can sell the story and change it later. You know, <laughs> so mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's not something that just is horrible to you and you can live with it, then sell it and change it. You know, if you really can't live with it later when you if you want to collect it or whatever, sure. you know, yeah, yeah. that's um. One of the great things about being creatives and artists is that everything we create belongs to us in the long run, you know. Mm. So it's a great thing about books anyway. I mean, once you, you sell a painting, it's gone. But, you know, the book, you can just keep redoing. It. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's why I write when I write. Do you guys write um, well in advance of deadlines or to the deadline? Meaning, like, I write right up against a deadline because it's the, otherwise I otherwise I change things incessantly. I think I think it depends when when like like if I see the call and the and the deadline is for like you know six months in advance, I'll maybe make a mental note and maybe start jotting ideas down. But sometimes I, I'll I'll see something say on Twitter and and the, you know the deadline's like a week away and I think oh I like the sound of that. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll madly write for a few days and just see if I can hit it. But there's something quite nice about having that excitement and terror mm -hmm. 
right into a deadline. I'm usually well in advance because otherwise I forget about the submission call. Even if I've written it down somewhere, I've lost the note. <laughs> <laughs> so I get it done and it's ready. And then I've got to remember to send it in. That's the other trouble. What about you, Kev? Yeah, I think for me, like it really differs from one thing to another. Some, because often I'll get that, that experience that you guys were talking about where like you see something and you think, oh, that really uh, intrigues me. But then maybe you don't necessarily have like a uh, an idea straight away so it'll kind of it'll fester at the back of my mind somewhere um whereas other things like um uh the story that i actually have out now as my like freebie like perma free kind of story for signing up my newsletter warding that um i saw the call from steve dillon for um a subterranean supernatural horror and like literally the story was just like bing done delivered into my brain i've been reading an article about warding animals in yeah. like a journal a week earlier and i was like yeah this i'll just i'll just do this now <laughs> and i just did it like on the fly almost like, i, I love that one that was, that, that, that was super creepy thank, thank you and but, but maybe not for anyone that likes cats <laughs> yeah indeed yeah yeah, yeah. I, I love cats my god <laughs> I always love those statements like that. The cryptic little. Well, unless you like cats, then I not like that. <laughs> I got in trouble one time because I think of not big trouble, but a few people criticized me because uh, I think it was Jerry Hepler had one of his characters kill a cat in a in a novel. And it was a really really good novel, and he was joking about people just massively attacking him over this cat and i said oh come on you do realize that this is these are two-dimensional black letters on a white page it's not a real fucking cat right (laughs) (laughs) a few people thought that was rather insensitive (laughs) so um i don't i don't insult pets on on the show anymore (laughs) (laughs) um but uh we are running out of time and i know it's late there um and i'm losing my earbud there's one more question shane have you made have you made a backup of this call um yeah good good we're safe (laughs) great news I had to check. Yes, and when and when we're done, I'll download it and upload it to the cloud too, so that I make sure I've got redundancy here. Um, <laughs> See you in a few in weeks again, I... then, Kev. <laughs> yes, yeah. Exactly. We'll, we'll, make, so, we'll make this a monthly thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'd like to welcome our new co-host, Kev Harrison, to the show. <laughs> Where we go over the same questions every month. It's a bit like Groundhog Day. <laughs> Let's see, this is, you know, listen to us over the course of a year and see if Kev ever lies to us. <laughs> Does his story change? <laughs> um, but uh, anything you wanted, anything else you wanted to announce or mention before we uh, cut you loose, Kev? Uh, yeah, one more thing, actually. We've got, um, uh, as well as the anthology that I'm in with uh, Steph, um, 
the silent dystopia uh, anthology there's also an anthology called hexperiments which is being put out by keith anthony baird who you guys know well and ross jeffrey they've edited that and that one is like um diabolica britannica last year it is going to be helping homeless charities which obviously right now is like really important and it's like um dark biotech uh anthology so everything's kind of like sort of um like experiments and uh um bio uh mechanical engineering and all kinds of ghastly stuff like that so um that's that's got me in it it's got ross's story in it and keith's as well of course it's got um david sodergren has got a story in there villa may mist uh whose name i mispronounce all the time sorry sorry villa may. um and um and a few others as well so yeah it, it's really it should be a really good book i'm really excited is, to is, see is, that. is that out just before christmas that is coming out just before christmas yeah. and so if you want to help some homeless people and also be utterly horrified then uh, i recommend grabbing that yes, put, put, it, put it under somebody's christmas tree exactly exactly people you don't like or people you do like it doesn't matter yeah, it works both ways. it's a win-win either way <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it but yes just thanks so much guys for having us on i really really appreciate having the chance to talk to you guys again <laughs> Thank, thank, thank you for agreeing to come, come back on. It was so it's always lovely to speak to you, Kev. It, feel, it feels like you're sort of part of the crew now, an honorary <laughs> member of the podcast. <laughs> yes, always, always. Um, and and our little our little dark family. Um, um, Bev, I know you have a little something. Maybe. To, oh yes, oh. just sort of. Tagging this on to the end, sorry Kev, sort of hijacking yeah, yeah. the episode. Um, just to say that I've been writing with uh, Nicola Igina, who wrote Bikail Bigard by Night, another another vampire author, and we have a novelette coming out on the 13th of December, which is free for our newsletter subscribers called Crimson is the Night which has characters from my Gabriel Davenport series and uh, Nicole's Beguiled by Night. So if anybody in- interested in anything vampire related, please sign up to our newsletters and you will get the link on the 13th. And it's a fantastic, fantastic, fun novel. It's like coming home for fans of these two authors. Thank you, Shane. Mm-hmm. I'll just bow out now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steph, what about you? Anything? Yeah, I've got a, a poetry collection that I've been working on with Cindy O'Quinn. We did some fan poetry based on the work of Linda Addison and Alessandra Manzetti. We've shown it to them and they've given it their blessing. We hope to release it in February they're writing the foreword for us and we've had some amazing feedback from Um, other poets in the industry and it's just been wonderful it's been a dream project Cindy's an amazing poet and it's just been so lovely working with her on this particular one it's it's just been really nice and as I say the feedback from everybody so far has been more than we could have hoped for. Is is, is that foundling? Foundlings yes foundlings yeah. yeah. I was telling uh, telling Cindy O last night um, that uh, I've read about the first third to a half of of the beta um, or the arc, and uh, it's stellar. It is absolutely stellar. I can see why Linda and Alessandro would sign off on it. Um, 
Oh, thank you. Oh. It's just, yeah, when she said, right, who's your favourite poet? And I said Alessandro and she said Linda was hers and then they've worked together themselves. It's just one yeah. of those things that just works. It, it's been brilliant. And yeah, and the result is the result is superb. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. Um, uh, but actually, you guys, um, all three of these people that I'm talking to here uh, are all stellar authors. And if you find anything with their names on it, um, you can't you can't go wrong picking it up and reading it. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't, do unfuck that. Um, thanks, Kev. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Cheers, guys. Bye. 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 I can never find the button to hang the fucking thing up. There it is. <laughs> Guys, thanks so much. Have a lovely Bye, evening. Then.